Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. I think we'll jump into the next talk. So this is just a quick update on sort of the therapeutic landscape and some of the new therapies that are out there. So obviously, um, there's still a major survival disadvantage despite all the therapies that we have today. You can see that uh, the median survival, looking at <clears throat> the Reveal database, the U.S. based, the largest U.S. based database, uh, suggests that the median survival, even on the best of therapies today, is about nine years. So we still have an unmet need. So the current treatment targets we're all familiar with, targeting the three pathways: endothelial, nitric oxide, and prostacycline, but there are new developments of these well-established pathways. So there's looking at higher doses of massatentin, for instance, 75 milligrams instead of 10 milligrams. Uh, Rilenapeg, which is um, sort of a new generation, Selexapeg, if you will, um, changing the way we give treprostanil um, and the formulations, et cetera. And uh, you may have heard that there's a dry-powdered uh, inhaled Vardenafil. So there's a lot of stuff going on um, in terms of the existing pathways and sort of modifying those in ways. And then there's also the potential for new novel pathways in PAH. And these are all the areas where we might be able to um, consider um, uh, additional therapies. There's a lot of translational research going on um, to look at any one of these um, different areas, uh, targeting any one of these different areas that affect uh, the pulmonary vasculature. So these are some of those. Um, you can see in the, um, uh, at the top there, uh, there's uh, you know, targets like looking specifically at BMPR2, which is the biggest, the most well-known genetic um, uh, modification that we see in PAH patients. Um, and there's uh, you know, been some data looking at tacrolimus, for instance. Um, there's a new drug called Cetatercept, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, the old story of inhibiting um, PDGFR uh, with the matinib, and there's a newer, newer molecule known as serolutinib, so there's, I'll show you some of that data. Um, there's a recent study that I actually just recently read out as a failed trial, but looking at um, antagonizing the serotonin pathway, so serotonin inhibition, we'll get into that a little bit. And then you can see there's multiple other pathways being targeted with different drugs, or um, in the past, inflammation, the metabolic pathways, looking at estrogen signaling, which, signaling, which we do a lot here at UCLA, a lot of that research. Um, humoral, uh, epigenetic, there's a VIP analog that's being looked at as well. So I'll just touch base quickly about Cetatercept, which is probably the biggest story um, in the last uh, year with the article that came out early in 2023. So as I mentioned, uh, uh, bone morphogenic protein receptor 2 and um, sort of the larger uh, TGF-beta superfamily is really the signaling that we're targeting um, with this drug, Cetatercept. And there's this homeostasis. There's a very nice picture of this in the, in the New England Journal that, in the article that came out, looking at the fact that there's an imbalance between the proliferative pathway and the antiproliferative pathways, obviously favoring proliferation. Um, and Cetatercept sort of comes in and rebalances this stuff by <clears throat> really focusing in on the activins and the growth differentiating factors and sort of um, you know, rebalancing it so that there's more of an antiproliferative uh, phenotype. Um, and as we know that up to 86%, I mentioned this earlier, familial PAH and 35% of idiopathic PAH um, actually show this defect, this genetic defect in the BMPR2 um, 
um, in, in terms of mutations, and PAH is associated with this with the dysregulation that occurs because of this uh, genetic modification. Um, and then <clears throat> we end up having um, uh, this condition. And it turns out this atatercept targets exactly um, this, whole, uh, this whole cascade. So atatercept is the first, um, of, uh, uh, first in class, if you will. So another sort of pathway, if you will, it's a fusion protein. And as mentioned, we sort of rebalance into, into the, 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 you know, promoting more of the anti-proliferative uh, phenotype and then hopefully reversing, some might say, the characteristic remodeling that we see in PAH, although that remains to be seen. Um, there's been two studies. One was the phase two study called the Pulsar study and the more recent one that you probably read in the New England Journal. And if you haven't, it's a very nice article, particularly with the, with the pathway that's, that's been worked out, uh, looking at the phase three stellar study. And in the stellar study, um, the, the difference, they looked at six-minute walk distance as the primary endpoint, and there was a difference in, uh, of uh, 40.8 meters in the six-minute walk, which was statistically significant. But the, really, the nice part of the study was they had nine secondary endpoints, which they looked at in terms of a hierarchical approach statistically, and the first eight actually hit in terms of in favor of cetatercept, and they're all things that you would clinically find to be relevant including the need for hospitalization, uh, morbidity, um, as well as you know, BNP levels, et cetera. So interestingly enough, and this is important, 40% of the patients in that study were on a prostacycline infusion, and 60% were on triple therapy. So it wasn't, it wasn't you know, these are patients that we treat on a daily basis. So these are some of the studies that are currently ongoing. You can see Spectra was an older study. I won't get into that. Stellar's completed. Um, and then there's two other studies ongoing right now called Zenith and Hyperion, looking at incident and prevalent cases using cetatercept. So just switching gears to imatinib and serolutinib. So overexpression of, of PDGFR or PDGF and PDGFR and its receptor implicate, it's been implicated in the development of PAH for many, many years. Um, and there's a whole pathway um, sort of outlined for how, you know, perhaps um, inhibiting PDGFR and PDGF in PAH patients may account for, may allow for reverse remodeling. And so we're talking about tyrosine kinase inhibitors here, um, imatinib. Uh, it's an old story. There was an old study, older study, uh, back in the late, uh, maybe 2009, 2010. Uh, it was a phase three study called IMPRESS, looking at oral imatinib, which actually was... Uh, put on top of patients who were pretty darn sick. Uh, it was actually a positive study, but it had serious side effects, specifically subdural hematoma increase in incidence. So Novartis actually um, put that program or stopped working on that program, so it never came to fruition. But now they're looking, um, there's, there are studies looking at inhaling imatinib, um, and there's planned and actually ongoing phase one two and three studies looking at inhaled imatinib. So that's kind of cool. And then there's a newer molecule called GB002, which is actually serolutinib, um, which is a small molecule inhibitor, also of PDGFR, um, which um, I can show you some data for um, in a second. So this serolutinib is a, also a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. Remember, a lot of these tyrosine kinase inhibitors are sort of dirty in the concept that they block multiple tyrosine kinases. Um, this one blocks PDGFR, um, CSF1 and CKIT. Um, so this is sort of a, um, you know, has its own profile, if you will. And it's also designed as an inhale therapy for PAH. It's, all, it's administered as a dry powdered inhaler. Um, and so 
it's kind of cool, and you can see the device at the bottom there in the panel B. So the study that they just completed looking at serolutinib um, is this um, uh, uh, Tory phase two, called the Tory study. They randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study, um, and the primary endpoint in the study was change in PVR from baseline um, to week 24, um, and they did actually meet uh, um, the primary endpoint. Um, 60% of the patients in this study were on triple background pH therapy, and 45% were on parenteral prostacycline. So in the overall population, the drug serolutinib actually reduced PVR statistically significantly, and it seemed to be more beneficial in people who had functional class 3 symptoms as opposed to uh, functional class 2, not surprisingly. So the current status of this drug is that there is proof of concept, and now there's a global registration phase 3 program that's in process using serolutinib. What about serotonin antagonism? I sort of mentioned earlier that this drug is... uh, more recently, uh, the, the study has actually stopped. But it's kind of an interesting story, um, and I know we don't have much time, but it, the, the serotonin pathway has been a pathway of interest for many, many years. As we all know, serotonin is released by um, intestinal, you know, the, uh, the uh, enterochromaffin cells. Um, 90% of what we see comes from that, the platelets as well as the brain. And it turns out the human pulmonary endothelial cells also express tyrosine or tryptophan hydroxylase 1, and, and by that, by means, by that, using that enzyme, produce uh, serotonin um, in the pulmonary endothelial cells, um, which has been seen in patients with PAH. So it, serotonin itself induces proliferation and vasoconstriction and potentially leads to PAH. This is the, obviously the mechanism that they're trying to go after. Um, so there is a drug that was studied in a study called uh, the Altavant study, looking at a serotonin you know, antagonizing that pathway, and it was a um, tryptophan hydroxylase inhibitor. Um, this study was uh, stopped, um, you can see here, pretty recently in June of 2023. But interestingly enough, it, it wasn't just stopped. Uh, it, w- it was stopped, but the reasons are interesting. It actually worsened um, PVR um, and the nt and p levels in the wrong direction, um, and uh, I think that's also something to, to be aware of. Just switching gears to devices, so this company called Aria has a device that actually tries to work on, we're all used to sort of working on the pulmonary vascular resistance. This device is interested in in looking at pulmonary artery compliance and sort of modifying that and sort of changing how using a device and trying to get the pulmonary vasculature to act um, like the elastic system that it should be. Um, And so, so that's what it looks like. You can see there's a there's a holding chamber um, at the top there. There's a balloon, the reservoir at the top, I should say, which has a, has a proprietary gas in there. And then there's a balloon at the end with this nitinol stent, which actually wedges into the pulmonary, into the pulmonary artery um, on, one, on one side and went into one of the main pulmonary arteries. And you can see it's being deployed just on this video here. Should be coming through pretty soon. There it is. Going into the left PA there. And then you can see that stent at the top, so it wedges in with that nitinol stent. And then there's a balloon just proximal to that. And then the reservoir has a proprietary gas, and as the heart pumps systole and diastole, you're gonna, the, pump, the balloon will actually deflate, inflate and deflate. Um, so there's no pump, there's no, there's no uh, battery. Um, it, this is a self-working um, system, if you will. 
So the mechanism here is, you can see here at the top, during systole, um, the pulmonary artery wants to expand, uh, which is what it should do. During that time, the balloon in this, um, in this device deflates, and the opposite in diastole. So it sort of mimics the elastic recoil. And the idea is that it actually drops the pulse pressure, uh, the difference between the systolic and diastolic PA pressures, and it augments cardiac output which is what they've seen. So what they've done is they've done three studies looking at the acute changes for WHO group one, two, and three patients. And you can see the changes here on the left in compliance on the left uh, at baseline versus being on the device acutely. This is people on the table when the device is acutely put in. And on the right, you can see the same thing with pulse pressure. Again, the difference between the systolic and diastolic pressure is falling with the device acutely. And they saw synonymous or homogenous results across all three who groups. So there's a study known as the Aspire study, which is an early feasibility study looking at um, uh, uh, using this device in all groups, groups one, two, and three, using this device in the ambulatory setting. So not just acutely, but actually chronically waking them up after placement and then getting them and seeing how they do over time, not just acutely. And just to finish things out, there's several interventional and surgical devices that we could talk about, which we don't have time to get into. There's a resurgence of actually creating a POTS shunt, not, not just surgically, but even percutaneously. Um, we're not going to get into that, but it's interesting. There's been a whole story of pulmonary artery denervation, much like we used to sort of ablate uh, renal arteries for systemic hypertension, which never panned out, but as you get the concept there. Looking at right ventricular assist devices, there's the possibility of pacing the RV. There's some nice data in the Blue Journal from Ryan Tedford's group looking at that. And then ECMO, of course, is always playing a role, both veno-arterial and now the whole VPA approach uh, with a single catheter. So in conclusion, phase three trials for new approaches to target the well-established pathways are, are there. There's a whole number of novel PAH targets. We mentioned Cetatercept and other other pathways. There's a whole bunch of phase two and phase three studies going on. Um, this, it's ripe. The whole field is ripe with a lot of interest and a lot of interesting things happening. And I think an important goal for us is to prioritize drug discovery and development in PAH. Um, so with that, I'll stop. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative. GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.